Welcome to Audiobook Test Drive. In today's episode, we are featuring an excerpt from Jinx Rider, written by Edwin Booth. Wherever he went, trouble followed. When Matt Bartlett rode into Sundog, the last thing he was looking for was a new mess of trouble. Matter of fact, he was aiming to get himself a small spread and set to forgetting the brutal Lincoln County fracas he'd finally gotten away from. But a stranger in Sundog didn't stand much chance of keeping peaceably to himself. Not with a pair of trigger-happy gunmen running the town, using their bullets to protect a vicious rustling racket. Especially when they had been looking for a newcomer to take the blame for it all. And as far as these gun-toting varmints were concerned, Matt filled the bill perfectly. Seemed as if things started going wrong in places just as Matt drifted in. Some folks even called him a jinx. This time it was Sundog and Matt who had landed in a hornet's nest of trouble. The way Matt figured it, he only had one choice. Find out who was really behind the dirty work or do his own ranching in the graveyard. Either way, like everywhere else Matt had been, there was going to be gun smoke at Sundog. This powerful Western classic was written by a man who had been a ranch hand and whose books were published by the same company as his contemporary, Louis L'Amour. And now for your listening pleasure, an excerpt from Jinx Rider. Chapter 1 all afternoon an icy wind had been screaming out of the distant mountains, bringing the threat of snow, although the sky was still clear. Fierce gusts snatched at the eddies of dust, kicked up by the horses' hoofs, and flung tumbleweeds across the road like startled chickens. Far above a buzzard hung motionless in the air like an omen of evil. Matt Bartlett's left hand, holding the reins close to the pommel of his saddle, was red with cold, and his eyes were squinted against the wind. He shifted his weight in the saddle and took his right hand out of the pocket of his brush jacket, long enough to press the jacket collar closer around his throat, then ram the hand quickly back into the warm pocket. For over an hour he had been wanting a cigarette— but he didn't want it bad enough to contend with the problem of rolling one in the wind, and had satisfied himself with the thought that the town of Sundog, if he had been correctly informed, should soon be in sight. The road swung aside to miss a big boulder, and when it straightened again he was surprised to see a buckboard standing motionless a quarter of a mile ahead. Beside the buckboard, a man sat astride a bay stallion, apparently talking to the driver of the buckboard, whose back was toward Matt. In the clear air, the horseman's features were easily visible under the wide brim of his stetson. His face inflamed and ugly, a sullen twist to his lips. The wind caught up a snatch of what he was saying, but Matt couldn't make out the words. Without conscious intent, Matt withdrew his hand from the pocket of the brush jacket and unsnapped the jacket's metal fasteners so that the coat fell open, leaving his holstered gun clear. Realizing what he had done, he grinned wryly. This last year or two had left him with some funny habits. 
including an automatic suspicion of anything the least bit out of the ordinary. It was a frame of mind he'd have to get rid of, or the long ride would have been wasted. While this passed through his mind, his horse moved steadily toward the buckboard where the mounted man was still talking angrily to whoever was in the driver's seat. Matt began to make out the words. Time and time again, the man was saying, but you ain't got any of your men to stop me now and I'm going. The man suddenly became aware of Matt's presence and whirled around to face him, his hand dropping close to his gun. Matt was careful to avoid giving the impression that he saw anything out of line. Let them do their own arguing, he thought. It's none of my business. He put his hand back in his pocket, nodded, and prepared to ride past with the horseman watching him warily. Then a flash of color caught the corner of his eye, and he turned to glance at the driver of the buckboard, who so far had not spoken. As he did, he involuntarily drew up on the reins so that his horse stopped still. The woman in the buckboard returned his look thoughtfully. She was wearing a man's overcoat with the collar up, and there was a blanket across her lap and around her legs. Her right hand was out of sight under the blanket, and her left hand, which held the reins, was encased in the red-knit glove which had caught his eye, her face, or the part of it that was visible above the high coat collar, was flushed. Matt concealed his surprise as best he could and took his right hand out of his coat pocket to touch the brim of his hat. Evening, ma'am, he said. He ran an eye over the horse and buckboard without noticing anything wrong, but added, Everything all right? Even that he knew was saying too much. If there were anything wrong, the man talking to her was the one to straighten it out, not a stranger who'd never seen her before. Still, there shouldn't be any harm in asking a polite question. A little flicker of amusement turned up the corners of the woman's mouth. Nothing I can't handle, thank you, she said. Her voice was low, but with an unusual musical quality. It was Matt's cue to ride on, but his curiosity was aroused. He glanced at the horseman, who was scowling at him, and reached for his tobacco sack. The other man shifted uneasily in the saddle. You heard her say there was nothing wrong, he said thickly. Now be on your way. Matt looked at him steadily over the cigarette paper as he shook tobacco from the sack. Something about the other man antagonized him. It might have been his looks, which were far from pretty, or the fact that he spoke with the coarseness of a man who has had one drink too many. Or again, it might have been the tone of voice with which he had addressed the woman in the wagon. Matt ran his tongue along the edge of the paper and put the end of the cigarette in his mouth. I'm in no hurry, he said. I've been thinking about making myself a smoke anyway. He took a match out of his pocket and scratched it behind the cantle of his saddle, noting as he did that the other men watched his hand narrowly. The woman looked from Matt to the other man and flicked her reins lightly. The buckboard began to move, but the horseman reached down and grabbed the reins out of her hand. You go when I tell you to, 
he said bluntly, yanking the horse back on its haunches. Matt flipped the used match to the side of the road. Where I come from, stranger, he said. We just talk that way to men. I guess maybe you'd better hand back those reins and let the lady go where she wants to. Wait, the woman said sharply. Don't start trouble over this. Cosmo's been drinking, and whiskey always gives him the crazy idea that he's bigger than he really is. I'll be all right. The man called Cosmo spat. Drunk or sober, I'm good enough for you, damn it. What does anyone know about you except that you try to put on airs? For my money, you're just... That's enough, mister. Matt's voice had an edge to it, and he eased around in the saddle. Already it's starting, he thought, before I'm even in town. Cosmo's head jerked, and he let the buggy reins slip from his fingers. His eyes were half-closed, but they shone with a savage fury. Damn your guts, he snarled. I told you to keep riding. Now I've got to... His hand slashed suddenly toward his gun. Matt's hand moved simultaneously. His gun spat just as Cosmos cleared the holster. Cosmo grunted and looked down in disbelief as his gun fell into the dust. You're fast, mister, he said. But you just made a bad mistake. The thickness was gone from his voice. Terrible bad. Matt shrugged. It wasn't my first, then. Now get going, before I make another. Cosmo looked down at his gun in the road, then yanked his horse savagely around toward town. The horse squealed as Cosmo's spurs raked its flanks, then it galloped off down the road. Matt holstered his gun and turned to look at the woman, who was studying him speculatively. She didn't seem to have changed position, and there was no evidence of fright in her expression, a fact which irritated Matt for some obscure reason. He swung out of the saddle and picked up her reins from the road. She accepted them with a smile which made her look younger than he had judged her to be. Thank you, she said. Not just for picking up the lines, but for the other thing, too. Matt studied her expression. You don't seem scared, he said. Is it because your friend Cosmo is just a blowhard? Her smile faded. No, I'm afraid you've had some really bad luck making him an enemy. I'm sorry I was the cause of it, especially since it was so unnecessary. She turned back the lap robe. This is why I wasn't frightened. Matt looked down at the big revolver, which she held in her right hand. In spite of a momentary annoyance, he couldn't help grinning. Maybe this will teach me to mind my own business. You must have been laughing up your sleeve. Her eyes clouded, and she held up a hand appealingly. Oh, no, don't think that, please. You had no way of knowing about the gun, any more than Cosmo did. And I really appreciate what you did. She smiled a little uncertainly. For that matter, I don't know if I would have had the courage to use it. You saved me the necessity of finding out, and I'm thankful. Matt studied her a second and nodded. You would have used it, 
I'm convinced of that. You don't look like the sort to get hysterical. She smiled. Thank you for those kind words. By the way, if you're going to go around saving damsels in distress, you're at least entitled to know who they are. I'm Ada Simmons. She held out her hand. The proffered hand was surprisingly warm as she gripped his cold fingers firmly. I'm Matt Bartlett, Matt said. It's a pleasure. Thank you. She withdrew her hand and laughed. Well, Matt Bartlett, it's too cold a day to sit out here in the wind and exchange compliments. I'm on my way to Sundog, if that's your destination. Why don't you tie your horse behind the buckboard and get in here where it's a little more out of the wind? We still have two miles to go. The suggestion sounded inviting, and Matt grinned. Don't mind if I do, Miss Simmons. He led the horse behind the wagon and tied it, then stepped into the buckboard and relaxed gratefully against the back of the seat. She looked at him questioningly. Aren't you going to pick up Cosmo's gun? Let him come back after it if he wants it bad enough. Matt said, I don't want to steal it and I sure don't aim to take it back to him. Her laughter came easily. You're an odd one, aren't you? Odd? He shrugged. Not to me, I'm not. Of course, I'm more used to myself than you are. He took the corner of the blanket that she held out and laid it across his lap. It isn't every day I get carted into town by a pretty lady. Her sideways glance showed quickened interest. You say nice things, Matt Bartlett. I bet you've got a girl someplace. Matt's smile faded instantly. For a few minutes, he had almost forgotten. No, he said. Not anymore. She laid a glove hand on his. I'm sorry if I seem to be prying. It won't happen again. That's all right. Matt forced a smile. There's no mystery about it. I had a girl down in Lincoln County, but she got killed in that trouble they had back there. Happened on the day we were supposed to get married, which made it all the harder to take. I wasted two years trying to run down the man who fired the shot that killed her. When I did find him, he'd just been buried in a rock slide up near Raton Pass. He turned to look at her. Funny thing. I realized right then that it was better that way. He hadn't been trying to kill her anyway, but it took me two years to get that straightened out in my fool mind. Now I'm hoping to forget it and make a new slant at things, but it isn't so easy to change all at once. Her answer was so slow coming that he turned to watch her expression. I know, she said. Believe me, I know. She shook her head as though ridding it of unwanted thoughts. Well, let's talk about Sundog. Is this your first visit? My first, Matt said. At that, it isn't really my destination. I gave up my job with the Santa Fe last week and aimed to drift west until I find a spot that suits my fancy. 
He frowned. This sundog, what's it like? Well, she thought about it a minute. Some of it's like Cosmo Bender, the man you just met. Tough and cruel and rotten. Then again, some things about Sundog are beautiful. Her eyes began to shine. Like the sunsets or the first storm of winter, with the desert plants blooming above the snow. She gave him a sidelong glance. Of course, some of it is just work, hard work, like running a freighting outfit. You don't mean that you run a freighting outfit. Is there any reason I shouldn't? No. He shook his head. I suppose not. He grinned. I suppose there'd be nothing really wrong about me running a millinery store for that matter, but it might make people wonder. Her laughter bubbled up naturally. I suppose it does look funny, but it beats starving to death. You might like the millinery business, too, if you didn't know anything else. She took her hand from under the robe and pointed ahead. Anyway, here's Sundog, the good part and the bad. Matt followed the direction of her pointing finger and saw two rows of false-fronted wooden buildings staring at each other across the short business street. Scattered unevenly back from the road were a number of small houses, from whose chimneys wisps of smoke were whipped away by the wind, adding their tangy aroma to the air. The buckboard slowed down in front of a store bearing the legend, Ab Cool General Merchandise. Matt waited for it to come to a stop, then stepped down. As he did, he noticed a man standing in the doorway of what was obviously a saloon. The man, a tall, dark-haired fellow about Matt's own age, was watching him intently, and with a trace of animosity, though for what reason Matt didn't know. Then the man shifted his gaze to the girl and smiled. He waved a hand. "'Good evening, Ada.' he said. The girl smiled back and called out, A chilly one, Rex. She watched the man disappear into the saloon, then turned to catch Matt's expression. There was an amused smile on her face. Rex Davenport, she said. He owns the silver bell. Yes. Matt touched his hat. Well, thanks for the ride, Miss Simmons. I'll likely be seeing you again. He stepped back and untied his horse. You probably will, she said. It's a small town. She turned to look at him. Thank you again for what you did. I really mean that. She flicked the reins and the buckboard rattled down the street. Matt watched her turn off beyond the row of store buildings, then wrapped his reins around the slick rail in front of the general merchandise store. He stepped stiffly onto the wooden sidewalk, and headed for what he hoped would be the warmth of the building. A pleasant, white-haired man wearing an apron watched him come in and waited for him to shut the door behind him. "'Good evening, sir,' the man said. "'Anything I can do for you?' Matt walked over to warm his hands in front of the pot-bellied stove before answering. He slipped out of his coat and tossed it on an empty cracker box. "'Later on,' he said, I'll likely be needing a few supplies. 
he met the merchant's gaze. First, though, maybe you can give me some information. Well, if I can, the man said. He held out his hand. I'm Ab Cool, as you may have guessed from the sign out front. He grinned. It's a real nice name when the thermometer's around a hundred. Today, he spread his hands. Well, I guess we've got to have winter sometime. Matt liked him instinctively. He took the extended hand and shook it. Seems to be the custom, he said. I reckon a man could get awful tired of summer the year round. He backed away from the stove. Anyhow, it means I'd better find a place to dig in until spring. I was hoping you might know of some rancher who's in need of help. Ab Cool stroked his chin. It's a bad time of year to be looking for work, Mr. Bartlett. I guess you know that without me telling you. Matt nodded. I know. The merchant nodded. I figured as much from your looks. He glanced up sharply. I saw you getting out of Veda Simmons' buggy just now. Is she a friend of yours? Matt shook his head. No, I guess you wouldn't call her that. We just met half an hour ago. However, she's the only person I know by name in Sundog. Unless you count a cuss by the name of Cosmo Bender. Ab Cool frowned. If you've met Ada and him, you've about hit the top and bottom of the lot. They don't come any finer than Ada or lower than Cosmo. I guessed as much from short acquaintance, he grinned. I don't think Cosmo took much of a liking to me, come to think of it. The merchant didn't smile. You mean you and him had trouble? You might call it that. He drew a gun on me, and I had to nick his arm. The old man grunted. Huh. Then the first information I'll give you is this. You're going to have to watch both ways wherever you go, and behind you, too. Matt nodded. I aim to do that anyway, but I shouldn't have much trouble. Cosmo isn't exactly hard to see. The merchant laughed shortly. <laughs> it isn't just Cosmo you'll have trouble with, son. There's Pharaoh Hilberg, too. He and Cosmo are thick as thieves. Fact is, it wouldn't surprise me if they are. Well, never mind that. Anyway, keep your eyes peeled for Pharaoh. He's supposed to have the fastest gun in the territory. Matt stiffened. There it was again. Somebody with a fast gun. Somebody looking for a fight. He cleared his throat. How will I recognize this man Pharaoh in case I run into him? Ab Cool looked around. You'll know him, stranger. He's skinny as a crow with a mouth that looks like it was cut in his face with a knife, and long bony fingers just made for pulling a trigger. But you won't have to hunt him up. He'll be looking for you. Matt stared at him bleakly. Thanks for the warning, anyway. He reached for his jacket. The supplies can wait till morning. Right now I'm going to put my horse in the livery stable before it gets any colder. Reckon I can put up at the hotel, I noticed, as we came in. He headed for the door. The old man's voice stopped him. 
If you wanted my advice, young man, which you don't, I'd tell you to keep on riding. This town isn't what it used to be, and I've got a notion that it ain't an accident. You're liable to end up in the middle of a man-sized mess. Matt turned to look at him. I'll stay, he said. I'm not much for running away from things. They have a way of following you. The old man nodded. I thought you would, he hesitated. Well, in that case, you might ride out in the morning and talk to Harvey Rogers on Sunset Ranch. He's the only rancher I know that might need a rider. I'll tell you this much, though, for what it's worth. Nobody else wants to work on Sunset, and you'll be a fool if you do. Now, that's all I'm going to say about it. Matt watched him for a moment. All right, then, Mr. Cool, and thanks for your advice. I'll be back in the morning for those things I wanted. Then maybe you'll be kind enough to direct me to Sunset Ranch. We hope you enjoyed listening to this excerpt from Jinx Rider. If you would like to hear the entire audiobook, it can be purchased at Amazon.com, Audible.com, and iTunes.com.